0: Okay, great. So I'm Mike Hanna. I'm a neurologist uh, interested in neuromuscular disease from UCL Queen Square London and we're here at the ABN 2017 and I'm with uh, Eric Hoffman who's just given the Gordon Holmes uh, lecture on neuromuscular diseases. Eric, I thought we would talk about the sort of major advances in genetics of these diseases and how it's starting to um, not only inform diagnostics but also exciting developments in terms of therapies that are relevant to clinical practice, potentially.
1: Um, yeah, the Duchenne gene, and, and then subsequently many of the neuromuscular disease genes were, were cloned a good almost 30 years ago now as some of the first examples of human genetics applied to medicine, and molecular diagnostics was immediately delivered to patients and families mm-hmm. and enabling prenatal diagnosis and chirodetection and also diagnosis. There was a, been a problem for the last 20 years of the isolated case where you had... Right a patient outside of a family history, where diagnosis could get problematic, and now next-gen sequencing has emerged, and the UK is very active in that, with many mm-hmm. of your patients mm-hmm. now, I believe, mm-hmm. are yeah. having the whole genome sequenced, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Has that yeah. cleared up some of the diagnostics in your case? Yeah,
0: it's starting to, so, so the NHS has funded something called the 100,000 Genome Project, and there are many neuromuscular patients included in that. Um, one of the challenges is, of course, you get such a huge amount of data back and sort of interpretation that sometimes can be, can be challenging, but the plan is to try and make that more and more part of clinical practice and actually whole genome sequencing may hopefully turn out to be the, the first test that's requested actually from a, from a genetic point of view, whereas historically we'd be sort of looking at individual genes and trying to find uh, the cause that way, so I th- so I think yeah, next generation and whole genome sequencing is really transforming uh, clinical practice.
1: But it's been pointed out at the meeting and discussed quite a bit that you really need that coupled with the clinical expertise that yeah. all the neurologists yeah. here. In yeah. Britain has been a hotbed for neurology for yeah hundreds of years. Really, the top country in the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 one of the lessons I think is the you know the clinical interpretation and the clinical context. And the phenotyping becomes really important in mapping that onto the genetic findings that you have and, and do they make sense clinically and, and I think that's still an area you know I think it was thought for a while while well, the genetics are just going to be the answer you just do a whole genome and you don't need the clinician but actually that's clearly not the case it's the two working together that's going to be so important and I think that's across not just neuromuscular disease, but other neurogenetic and, and medical diseases.
1: And, and clearly, once you have the diagnosis down to the single base change in a 3 billion genome, you'd hope to improve the quality of life of the patient yeah. Yeah. and the family. And you know, there's been some interesting therapeutics emerging just over the last, yeah. say, even just a year. Yeah. Some of those are targeted at, at actually repairing the gene defect or compensating for it directly. And others are looking at further downstream, so what causes the progression of a phenotype. Yeah. So one that's being talked about at the meeting quite a bit is this new SMA drug. Yeah. Maybe you could explain that a bit.
0: Yeah. So, so this is um, a, a drug which um, enables exon skipping um, of a particular. It allows an exon to be included that would otherwise be skipped using an antisense approach. And a copy that we all have an additional copy of the SMN gene is then expressed and the results have been really quite dramatic in terms of uh, children with SMA who would not reach certain milestones are clearly reaching them Um, and that's a real dramatic turnaround I think for SMA uh, therapy of course it has to be given intrathecally at the moment because of uh, the need to deliver it to to their spinal motor neurons but the I think the next step in that will be the development of different chemistries to to allow systemic uh, injections. I think the um, I mean the other interesting, perhaps fut- more future development, is the whole area of gene editing as a potential therapeutic intervention. Um, and I think that's there's now preclinical data in, in Duchenne um, I- using that approach.
1: I think the gene editing will probably require some complicated sort of gene therapy. So it's always going to be an issue of how do you deliver all the machinery you need to do gene editing throughout muscle, which is one of your largest organ systems. It might almost be easier, like in the SMA example you gave, where you could deliver more locally, endothically, more to the cells that that really need it. Yeah. So yeah, but there's nothing you no know, clinical applications that I know of in genetic no. so no. far. Just as you mentioned, no. just don't be clinical. I think another thing that's been discussed is the whole cost too. I mean with the SMA yeah. drug yeah. that you just described, that is the list price is seven hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars a year it's per 50, patient. People. Yeah. And you know, how do you make a drug that's so expensive accessible mm. to all the mm. patients that need it? Mm. And um, so one thing uh, I presented in the Gordon Holmes lectures maybe looking at different business models. It seems like a lot of medicine most of medicine is patient oriented and and not really a huge, fundamentally a profit motive. Yeah. Whereas drug development seems right. to have centered on this profit motive to see how much you can charge and and you know I presented an alternative yeah. business model where maybe you try to make drug development similar to other medicine where it's really focused on the patient, not so much profit, mm-hmm. right, of what we call venture philanthropy, yeah. where the academic physicians and clinicians and scientists work together with the stakeholder groups and foundations yeah. to see how quickly, using innovative approaches, a drug can be brought forward yeah. and made the most accessible
0: to all the patients, presumably yeah, at a much
1: lower cost.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very exciting model because I think often the experience for academics getting involved with Big Pharma in particular is a sort of uh, frustrating and disappointing experience in that the, as you say the sort of, um, the things that drive them are are essentially towards profit Uh, and I think your model is a sort of nice balance between a pure academic agenda and a pure money sort of uh, big pharma agenda. So I think, and, and you've shown that it can work it, well, the so example far, yeah. that you've used,
1: yeah. Yeah, we're, we're developing a potential replacement for glucocorticoids, which are among the most prescribed drugs, but they have so many side effects, particularly in yeah. children. Yeah. And it, um, it seems through working with foundations in this venture philanthropy model, we've, we have developed a possible replacement. It's in clinical trials in Duchenne currently. And... And Newcastle University it is a key partner in that. And they right. just received a Horizons 2020 grant right. to do the phase two trials. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that works mm-hmm. out and how, mm-hmm. how far we can take the venture mm-hmm. philanthropy mm-hmm. model.
0: I think the other um, message, really, is these interventions are now actually starting to happen in patients in children. Children are surviving longer and into adult life, not just because of improved standards of care, but now I think with these new agents that are really going to modify the disease course, And I think for adult neurologists, which is the population of colleagues at this ABN meeting, uh, an increasing number of patients are transitioning into adult practice, and it's kind of a new population, and I think adult services need to respond to that. And we've developed a model where where I work at Queen Square of a a neuromuscular complex care centre, which is specifically for this transitioning and allowing the sort of multidisciplinary teams that are required to look after grown-up Duchenne uh, men and the same for other genetic muscle diseases that previously patients wouldn't have survived and I think that's going to be an increasingly important aspect to adult neurological practice because of these advances in genetics and genetic therapies so there's a lot of exciting things for the future.
1: Well it was great speaking with you and thanks for the opportunity
0: for this.